following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day good. Phone charge to 100% good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. When I was starting out, I was determined that I wanted to get into these incredible factories that made Manola Blahnik, Hermes, Christian Louboutin, the brands that I had sort of grown up wanting to emulate. And it's not easy to get into those factories. They don't just take anybody. And at the time that I went, I was 23 years old and going and knocking on doors and people were saying, oh, you know, who is this? What company are you from? And I would say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm Sarah Flint from Sarah Flint. And they'd be like, oh, God, you know, (laughs) see you later. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Flint on Skype. She's the founder, CEO, and creative director of Sarah Flint Shoes and made the Forbes Under 30 list in 2014. Sarah, hello. Hi. Where are you right now? I am in New York City, our headquarters. You're in New York City. What part? Uh, Flatiron. In the Flatiron. Okay. Describe for me Sarah Flint Shoes. Walk me through the process from design to manufacturing, what they're like. Sure. So um, Sarah Flint shoes are all handmade in Italy. Mm-hmm. The design process starts in New York, usually um, in my apartment instead of in the <sighs> office, which is way too distracting. Right. So I start often by sketching or my background is actually also pattern making. So sometimes I'll even start by draping leather, doing little stitch tests that I would then later send to the factory. After I come up with all of the designs, we go through a, a merchandising session with my team I then take my designs to Italy where I work with the modalista, who's the pattern maker in the factory, who right. really helps transition that drawing into a three-dimensional object. They will come up with a prototype first that will be sort of look like a shoe, but it won't have a sole on it and probably only looks more like a shoe to me, I guess. <laughs> I will draw on top of it, make corrections, mm-hmm. edit then they'll come back to me um, a couple weeks later with another prototype that this looks hopefully a little closer to what I'd envisioned, make some more corrections on that. And from there, we go to sampling. The sample we actually do in the, the materials that the, the real shoe will be made and sold in and really see what that looks like. And then from there, we go to the ordering process. And um, Sorry, what is the sampling? Oh, sampling is when the, the shoe is... The prototype looks exactly how you want it to for production. Right. And then yeah. you actually make it in the materials that you want it in. So usually for a prototype, you'll just use whatever leftover leather is in hanging around the factory. Um, is this so at all similar to like a sample sale? A sample sale would be the actual final samples that have come in and maybe they have a little bit of a tweak left to okay. it or they've been used for photo shoots or things like that. Right, um, right. So then there's a sample Forgive sale. me. I only know that term from watching Sex in the City back in the late 90s. <laughs> sample sales are a great thing. Right. That's what I knew. I knew it was a great thing. I just didn't, wasn't sure exactly what it was. And taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Veridesk, Rocket Mortgage, and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. What is it about the Italians that makes the Italian crafted shoe so coveted? Why, why, why work with them? Yeah. So for me, you know, my background was design. I studied at FIT in New York, and then I moved to Italy to actually study manufacturing. So um, I went to a school called Arsatoria, where I was actually in school with a combination of factory workers, factory owners, um, a few designers, uh, and really learned the engineering 
that went into shoe design. So part of that process was pattern making and part of it was going into all of the different factories and seeing sort of what uh, that process looks like, whether you're going to a heel supplier or a tannery that does the leather or, you know, a stitching department. And what's so incredible about Made in Italy and seeing that is that each person in each of those places has been doing this for generations. And, you know, their father did that and their father's father did that. And you really see such pride and care put into uh, the process of making the shoes that I think, you know, it's something that can't be can't be compared. It's like an old bakery. It's been passed down. Exactly. Describe what it's like working with like Italian artisans. What are they like? Well, lots of them don't speak English. So that's, <laughs> that's always fun. I've, I've learned a little bit of Italian, but I always say I speak sort of shoe in Italian, but yeah. that's it. What are, what are the um, most common phrases you find yourself using? Shoe, shoe and menu. I speak menu also. Okay. Uh, common phrases are just shoe, which is scarpa. <laughs> And uh, yes and no, pretty much. Okay, <laughs> and, okay. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. And, uh, you know, I mainly work with the, the factory owners and the modelistas um, yeah. who use the factory owners speak English pretty well. And uh, it's great. I mean, you every meeting starts with a coffee and you're not supposed to talk about business when you drink coffee. I had to learn that in the beginning when I um, was there with oh, my production manager and I started diving right into business. And he was like, no, no, no. <laughs> You can't do that while you're drinking coffee. It's like asking for the check too soon. Exactly, exactly. You have to make a little bit of small talk first. And, um, uh, you know, there's no contracts in Italy, which is an interesting thing. It's all sort of a handshake. And it's very relationship-based, which is, is cool to see. When I was starting out, I was determined that I wanted to get into these incredible factories that made Manolo Blahnik, Hermes, Christian Louboutin, the brands that I had sort of grown up wanting to emulate. And it's not easy to get into those factories. They don't just take anybody. And at the time that I went, I was 23 years old and going and knocking on doors and people were saying, oh, you know, who is this? What company are you from? And I would say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm Sarah Flint from Sarah Flint. And they'd be like, oh, God, you know, (laughs) we'll see you later. And so I was able to convince one of my mentors who had been my teacher and he had been a Manolo Blahnik pattern maker at one of the, the factories that they used. And he was able to get them to prototype my first collection. And that was really just based on his relationship with them, right. that, that it, I was able to do that. And, and um, my whole thing was that I felt like there was a huge space in the luxury shoe sector for the kinds of shoes that women wanted to live their lives in that were as focused on fit and wearability as they were on design and fashion. Um, you know, there was so much in the 115 millimeter stilettos and crazy platforms with studs all over them. But to me, those weren't the shoes that women were really spending the majority of their time in. Um, and to me, the idea that you could spend $800 on a pair of shoes that you know would make you want to die after an hour in them right. was ridiculous. So that was the whole reason that I wanted to go learn about the manufacturing side and you know, and the whole reason that I wanted to work with those kinds of factories because, you know, I, I wanted to make shoes that had fit and function in them, but I also was not willing to sacrifice style. Before you you moved to Italy, I know you went to the Fashion Institute of Technology and you got a degree in accessories design, right? I did. What is accessories design? So that involved shoes, handbags, belts, small leather goods, um, a little bit of jewelry, and, you know, it was we took everything from sketching to courses on production and marketing to, you know, the science of color. That was my requisite 
science class. And out of every all the graduates, are you the one getting it done? I mean, how is everyone else doing? <laughs> um, from my class, I'm, I'm the one getting it done. There have been some amazing graduates at yeah. FIT, though. Sigerson Morrison, those uh, girls actually met at FIT. I think Jesse Randall from Leffler Randall went to FIT before my time, but... As a young designer, I know that you take an old school approach to to the shoe business, and you were talking about that already. But you know, you, you focus on craftsmanship and 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 creating timeless designs with a more modern aesthetic. And I, I believe I'm actually reading that from either something that you said or the way somebody has described you. So, is that true? Would you say that that's true? Absolutely. I mean, I believe especially when it comes to luxury, if you're buying into something. Um, you know, at that price point and that quality, you want something that's going to last, right? And last in style and the test of time. You don't want to pull it out of your closet the next year and think, oh God, what was I thinking when I bought this? Well, I know that you, I know that you're doing direct to consumer now, but you did the B2B to model for a while. How did you first break into some of the high-end stores? Because you were at Barney's, Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom's. Yeah, we were at uh, Barney's and Bloomingdale's, ShopBop, Modoc Randy, a bunch of great places. And I would say, Persistence, a lot of persistence. <laughs> What's in. the conversation like when you go in? How do you break in? You know, the conversation is, of course, telling them a lot about your design vision and your background and all of that. But um, when it comes down to it, it's really just do they see something different and unique in what you're doing? And, you know, is it something that they're missing currently from their vendors? And for us, that, you know, that niche in flats and, you know, lower heels and the kinds of shoes, again, that, that women really wanted to wear in their everyday lives was absolutely something that the buyer's felt was missing. So it was exciting, but it didn't happen overnight for sure. We started with just specialty stores and then moved into Barney's was our first major department store, which was really exciting to see. And they're sort of known for launching new and innovative brands. So it was a really good launch point for us and very great. Was there part of you that just wanted to go into the Barney's and Beverly Hills or the Barney's in Manhattan and just put your shoe right at the front? Like, I feel like if I had a book and I was in Barnes and Noble, I would just go in every day and put mine right in the window. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I, I absolutely would have, would have wanted to do that, but I, I controlled myself. It's not, I did walk it's not a scalable, scalable plan, I don't think. Afraid not. <laughs> All right. So then talk to me about the decision to, because I've read that, you know, when you're in those department stores, while it's a privilege and they push for you, you are kind of playing catch up in terms of design and seasons, because you kind of have to show it to them way in advance and map everything out six months in advance. You can't be as nimble. Is that correct? Yes, you definitely are not quite as nimble. It's actually almost a year in advance that you end up doing things because you're you're showing at market, you know, four months in advance. Right. So to get all the designs and everything ready. But for us, you know, I'm eternally grateful for the our store partnerships that we had. You know, I don't think that we could have made this transition and had such success with our transition if we hadn't established ourselves there. Um, but it really came down to wanting to reach more customers, wanting to have, you know, a, a price point that made more sense for the for the market today. I think, you know, the world has changed a lot since since I launched my brand four and a half years ago. And, you know, brands like Everlane and Warby Parker and Casper even, you know, they sort of set, set the standard and in, uh, in the last 10 years of, of what that can look like. And consumers are really, you know, demanding more and more transparency into things. And, and for me, you know, the idea that I could offer 
Hermes quality shoes, you know, at a at half the price was really exciting and really to have that be be available to more people and um, the opportunity for growth and to really, you know, own own my own our own decisions was was pretty exciting. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Hiring Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidate for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And Zipper in fact 80% of employers who f- in fact 80% of employers who post the job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. One more time. ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And there's Veridesk. Traditional static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veridesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more, sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 electric standing desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, Stable at any height and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veritas products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veritas products, including the new ProDesk 60 Electric, risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. Learn more at veridescom slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com slash Forbes. The ability to drop the price point comes from moving out of the department stores and going directly to the consumer. Is that right? Exactly. Essentially, we sell the shoes um, to the customer at the price that we were selling it to the stores for. Walk me through the, that decision. I mean, when did that hit you that, you know, you could be, the margins would work in your favor to do that? Was that a long process for you? And, and when did you actually pull the trigger on it? It's something I've been thinking about for, you know, maybe a little over a year and a half. But from the time that we decided, you know, with our team, with our board, with my investors, that um, that we were going to do it, it was about three months from decision to transition. So right. it was definitely a hustle. Um, and the the timeline around it was really, you know, a product of the fact of when when things delivered. You know, we launched November seventh, so we basically pulled out after our fall season before mm-hmm. resort would deliver. And did you see any fall off on sales, or, or how 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 were the numbers when you pulled out? Far the opposite. I mean, the, really? the growth has been tremendous across all metrics, whether it's you know conversion, traffic, time on site. It's been it's been really really incredible to see. What do you? Our, our customers have been phenomenal and really such amazing brand advocates. We brought on a, a new a new partner as we were making the transition. Cindy Crawford has come <laughs> yeah. in as um, an investor and, and marketing partner, which has been great. She's been really she's a big proponent of um, direct to consumer businesses as she 
right. uh, started with Full Beauty, which is, you know, an amazing yeah. direct-to-consumer beauty brand. And um, she was really excited about, about what we were doing. And she said, well, let me help you get this message out there. Let's talk about it. Let's tell everybody about what you're doing. Well, it's it's amazing how that happened. I mean, I, by the way, I've seen Amal Clooney and Meghan Markle, Scarlett Johansson, and of course... Uh, there's there's great photos of Cindy Crawford seemingly going to like a bakery and wearing your shoes that that she was photographed in. How did you meet Cindy Crawford? I met Cindy. We had gifted her a pair of shoes, um, and then I just started emailing back and forth with her. She'd been a customer, and then um, I didn't actually meet her in person until we were making this transition. She was just an authentic fan of the brand, and so I thought. I'll, I'm going to email her and see if she's willing to get coffee with me and tell her about what I'm doing. And she genuinely just got so excited. So, and does, really is that a game it. changer when somebody, when like a, a fashion icon or just an icon in general comes that likes Cindy Crawford and starts wearing the shoes and starts, but w- what does that do? What, what, what actionable difference does that make? Yeah. I think what's been really cool to see with our celebrity following, and we have had, you know, such an amazing range of different celebrities in the shoes is that they, um, they're not wearing them on the red carpet, right? We have a lot of, you know, day styles. So you see Heidi Klum on the soccer field, you see Amal Clooney going into, you know, the UN, you see, um, Meghan Markle, you know, on vacation in Italy. And you see them wearing the same styles again and again, instead of like, you know, being dressed by a stylist for a red carpet or things like that. So I think what it's done is just, you know, really increase visibility, but show people that they can wear these things in their in their lives, you know, that it that it these shoes can be for you. Right. But uh, that that is the new red carpet, right? So you've got to be there to harness that on social media and tag it and show it on Instagram and and, and <laughs> presumably so that people can actually click and buy it on Instagram as well. It's up to you after that, you know, because you can that can happen and nothing can happen with those photos. But yeah. you've got to push it out and really spread the word. So are they, do they have any kind of formal or contractual relationship with, with you? No, only Cindy, who is an investor, but it's not, okay. a, you know, the only contractual thing is that she's invested um, in the business. So, mm-hmm. but everybody else has just been genuine fans of the brand. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Under 30 podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, Why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to the rate and term in real time? And why can't there be client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day kind of good. Phone charge to 100% good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a trunk club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. 
look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T R U N K C L U B.com. So give us a sense of, and just sorry, just run through this again of how it impacted your bottom line to go direct to consumer. What are the costs that immediately were wiped off? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think sampling costs in terms of the number of SKU count, one of the challenges when you sell to, um, many different stores is that Barney's wants something different than Bloomingdale's right. and Bloomingdale's wants something different than, um, than Shopbop. And, um, part of that is a product of the fact that, um, you are tied to a markdown cadence. Right. So, you know, all different companies have different friends and family sales and things like that. So they want exclusive product that they can, um, you know, have control over that markdown cadence. So for us, you know, it's been us making decisions now about what we want to make. And um, and just being a lot more refined with the SKU count and the samples, it's been controlling our markdowns. We now, you know, are only doing we're going to do two sales a year, ten days, you know, thirty percent off, and that's it. Right. Which I think is important because you know the way that the markdown calendar has gotten is just so crazy. You know, you you've got all boots are on sale by the time it's cold right. enough to wear them. So that's that's a challenge. And uh, just as a side note here, I'm getting married in a couple weeks, and uh, my fiance is at Love Shoes. So when 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 are those two sale days? Just so I can make a note of it here. Oh, our first one, I think, is at the end of April, but I gotta get back to you on that exactly. End of April, I will follow up. Her name is Jenny. She's amazing. She's incredible style. So I, you know, she she'd be a fan. We just launched a bridal capsule, so bridal? I'm going to check that out. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, perfect. Writing it down. Tell me a little bit about – and give me a sense of how the price point dropped. What was the the average and, and now what is it now that you're DTC? Sure. It, it, it dropped almost 50% in some cases. So, for example, our best-selling style is a pump called um, the Emma. And uh, that was at $345. Um, sorry, it is at $345 now. It used to be $645. Okay. Amazing. So it's a pretty substantial difference there. Amazing. And and my fiance is Jenny. Do you have anything called the Jenny? You know what? We don't have a Jenny okay. yet. Okay. So well, so there's lots of room fun. for exploration and, and 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 growth. So that's 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 fine. Tell me a little bit about the move to pop-ups. I mean, first of all, let's start with what is a pop-up. Sure. Pop-ups are you know short-term leases in different locations that uh, you have your product. So. Um, for us, we've always done something called the Sarah Flint Salon Series, which is um, a series of VIP events where you have a hostess who invites her friends, whether it's to her home or her club or whether it's to, you know, any some other kind of organization. Yeah. Um, so we've been sort of testing this for a long time, but we are absolutely looking into pop-ups at this point. Um, what's great about them is it allows you to test a different area of the country or um, and, and really see, you know, how your consumer responds uh, to the product in person. I think especially with a luxury product, it is great to have right. those physical touch points where people can really experience experience the product in that way. And From a business s- standpoint, it's great because you can, you know, you're not tied to a long-term lease and you can really see what works. And we have so much more visibility now into our customer and our business having, right. owning all of our data that we can actually see, oh, hey, look, you know, we're getting a huge amount of sales from San Francisco. That Maybe that's the first spot we should try. Right. So we're going to go to Valencia and 24th Street, and we're going to pop this up in this short lease uh, here in the Mission District. You you would do that. Yep. 
it's kind of genius because you, you see it all the time with restaurants and I always feel out of the loop because I'm like, I see all these people going into a strip mall and I'm like, what is happening? And there's an old radio shack and no, it's turned into this like this new hot restaurant for the six days or something like that. How do you market that? Just through social? Um, yeah, the whole, there's a whole range of ways to do it. Um, social is definitely you know one of the key marketing platforms for sure. What are the others? Um, we do a lot with peer-to-peer selling, so really encouraging people to share with their friends and, and leveraging our network. Um, you know, there's traditional advertising, there's digital advertising, okay. you know, there's different ways of viral marketing. Right. And so what, what did you learn about shopping patterns? Because now that you're really analyzing people spending time on your site and on social, what have you learned about their shopping habits? I think what's been really cool to see is um, the cadence of people's purchases. Um, you know, whether it's like a, a lot of times people will start with our Emma pump or, um, you know, there's a shoe that Meghan Markle wore called the Natalie flat that, you know, we got a lot of new customers who, who bought that shoe. And to go back now and see what is that second and third purchase has been really interesting. You know, if she's if she's first buying a Natalie flat, is she then going into an Andrea sneaker or is she going for something a little bit more avant-garde that's editorial? Seeing sort of those patterns has been really, really interesting. And can you give us uh, a sense of, I mean, how big are you right now? How many employees do you have? We have eight full-time employees and um, growing that soon. So it feels like a lot to me starting out of my apartment with just two. Right. Right. And you're all in New York? We're all in New York. And then, of course, we, you know, we work with a lot of freelancers as well who help us with uh, with different things and have some part time help. Right. Tell me a little bit about your your partnership. I know your, your partner is Veronica Collins, right? Correct. Yes. OK, so how do um, you how do you work together? How do you complement each other? How did you find each other? Well, I poached Veronica. <laughs> so I found okay. her through a headhunter. Um, and she came from uh, Shopbox, which was actually one of the places that I sold my shoes. It's been an incredible partnership for me, especially, you know, having done this on my own for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, his background is digital marketing um, and ops and logistics. So right. you know, she did everything at, at Shopline, at Shopop from, you know, optimizing payment pipeline to, you know, figuring out bidding on AdWords and, and things like that. So especially in this transition, it's it's been really interesting to see and then, you know, to have some help you know, sort of on the logistics side of things and, and even, you know, when it goes into working with the factories mm-hmm. and negotiations there and, and merchandising strategy, I think one of the things that I was surprised about was how well we've worked together on merchandising and to get that feedback has been really, really helpful. She's really good at asking me those critical questions. Well, what is this for? What is the end use of this product? Right. You know, especially when it comes to inventory planning, when she's got, uh, she went to Wharton and has a, you know, a strong business background. Right. So, um, my background is really brand building and and design. Well, let me ask you: now that you're owning like a hundred percent of your brand and your messaging, do you find it freeing or is it intimidating that you, that it's kind of all on you uh, to put together the messaging and stick handle your way to the consumer rather than rely on somebody else's help? It's freeing. <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. Um, just to be to be able to be this reactive, to be able to really put you know, the message and the designs out there that I want. Um, it's, it's been incredible and, and really exciting to see. And I just feel like I'm, I'm learning so much every day from, from, our, from this new consumer that we have. And it's been really exciting to see as well the mixed shift of our consumer um, shift down in age. 
um, as the, the prices have become a little bit easier. How competitive is it to survive today in the shoe business? The shoe business in general is competitive for sure. I think what is really interesting about our business is that we are a true luxury direct-to-consumer brands. There have been some really amazing direct-to-consumer brands emerge. A lot of them have been sort of like a design agnostic aesthetic, you know, really clean lines and incredible um, basic product. But to have a direct-to-consumer luxury brand where you do have that scarcity factor, where you have the celebrity following, where you have, um, you know, new original designs every season, I think is really, really exciting to see, to have more people sort of be able to buy into that. And when I think about, you know, the luxury brands of the future and what they're going to look like, I 100% believe that those brands are going to be built direct to consumer. And I think we have the opportunity to really be the first true luxury direct to consumer brand. Well, when you do peek into the future and think about design uh, from a creative standpoint, where where do you find your inspiration or design influences? Where do they where do they come from? Uh, a lot of the time, travel. Um, I'm a big traveler. Uh, whether it's back and forth to Italy for work or yeah. other places, um, I love old movies, art, um, but mainly it's travel for me. And and then sometimes things just come from my head. <laughs> well, how do old movies come and, 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 and influence your work? You'll notice a lot of sort of retro type details in some of my designs, whether it's like pleating or covered buttons, or I do a lot with uh, one of my favorite heels is sort of like a 40s style, um, chunkier heel that's, um, that's uh, it's not like a straight heel, like a traditional modern shoe, but has a little bit more shape and a right. feminine curve right. to it. I love those sort of old... Ginger Rogers dancing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things in my designs that I like to do is I like to have the design work come from the pattern of the shoe instead of like, well, how many studs can I put on this shoe? Or like, what is that hardware accessory? But to have it really come from the structure of the shoe, um, which is expensive. <laughs> but yeah. it's great to be able to have a little more a little more room to do that in this new model. When you, you know, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs that listen to this show. What what were some of the biggest obstacles that you had to clear in the beginning when you were getting this business off the ground and lessons learned? Yeah, I think persistent. I'm an incredibly persistent person, but staying persistent all the time, just continuing to network, to follow up with people, not being afraid to hear the words no and to not take no for an answer in some cases is, is really valuable and important. You know, I also think talking to everyone you can, you know, and, and then asking them, hey, maybe this isn't for you, but do you know someone else who this, you know, could work for or who else do you think I should talk to? Who could be helpful to me? I think one of the things that I try and remind myself to do is sort of, you know, admire the view when I get to that mountain instead of just skipping over because sometimes you have a right. tendency to get to one point and then think, oh my God, well now I have to get to the next <laughs> point instead of stopping and really, you know, thinking about all, all that you've achieved and done, which is, which is an important step and piece because it's what keeps you going in the long run. And then I think, you know, when it comes to growing a business, it's challenging building out a team, right? And going from being just a few people to having more and delegating responsibilities and learning. I, one key advice that I would give is to really know what you're good at mm -hmm. and source people that can help you with the things that you're less strong at, right. which is you know, the most, one of the most valuable things that you can do. But 
it sounds growing like, is challenging. It sounds like when you were, you know, pursuing uh, recruiting Veronica, that's what you did. Like you, you probably it would be a pain to have somebody else come in with a vision uh, that that contradicted your own, right? Like you, you don't almost need another ideas or design person. You need you needed a business person. Exactly. I needed that person with digital marketing skills, with logistics and operations, right. um, financial skills and all that. But I have to say, I was surprised that she came in and she had all these ideas about merchandising that really made sense for us, especially in this transition. And that wasn't easy in the beginning to, to have someone. I, I brought this person in for business and then I'm like, wait a second, what do you mean? I, you're, the data is telling you I need to be turning this shoe into a slide. Um, right, but right. You have to understand what you know, what you know, and what you don't, and and that's been a really, a really valuable part of our partnership as well. How important is for that person who has those that skill set that you're looking for to really believe in your vision? It's hugely important because you know, as an entrepreneur, as anyone in a startup, you're working twenty four seven. You know, you're traveling together, you're practically living together. So they have to believe in it as much as you are because it's not, it's not easy, and it's a lot of work and. And, um, and they, you know, you both have to know that this is worth it, that you're going to build something big and valuable and exciting. So Sarah, you know, obviously we, we've covered a lot of the successes of the companies and the growth, but everybody has setbacks. So can you share with us any setback you had that was unexpected and, and, and just share what happened and, and how you recovered from it? Sure. Probably the biggest one that comes to mind is my second season we had uh, one of our factories that worked primarily for another very large luxury brand that I won't say the name of. They, at the last minute, received an enormous order from that brand that had been supposed to be at another factory and they'd had a production issue with it, so they moved it there. Their new large supplemental order was the size of my entire order overall for the season, and my production was bumped two months. Oof. Which, you know... I thank God that we were not at Barney's or Bloomingdale's at that point, because if that had been the case, our orders would have been canceled and we never would have been ordered from again. Um, that was one of the most terrifying mo- moments in my career. I thought, okay, we're finished. If we can't deliver, everybody's going to know about it, all this stuff. <laughs> so at that point, we had about four specialty stores. The specialty stores were not talking to everybody. Um, what we ended up doing was giving them um, some... different styles from um, one of the other factories that we were working with um, that ended up selling through amazing and all that. But in the moment it was, it was terrifying. I personally went out to each specialty store and spoke to the owners, spoke to the sales associates, got them excited about the new product, you know, did some shows, things like that. But that was a pretty scary and terrifying moment. And I think, you know, thank God we had two factories at that point. Now we have many more than two factories but uh, one of the things I learned as well is to be sure in those factories that there isn't one main customer that that factory depends on right. for. Right? So because then then they're really held hostage by that by that um, that brand. I know that your dream for the company is to build the next great American lifestyle brand. I believe I read that somewhere. Can you <laughs> confirm or deny and uh, and unpack what you mean by that? Absolutely. Um, that is my dream for the company. For the company. You know, I believe that, like I said, the time is right for a direct-to-consumer lifestyle luxury brand. Um, you know, we're very focused right now on winning and what we're in what we're doing, which is footwear. So 
Um, in terms of lifestyle, not branching out into so many categories at this point, I think that's another can be another pitfall for some some young brands um, is trying to do too much too soon. You know, I I believe you know that it's time for the next Tory Burch or Michael Kors, and that they will be built in a direct to consumer model. And Sarah, finally, t- tell me about the decision to use your name as the company. That came about in an interesting way, actually. You know, was trying to think of many other names, and um, I spoke to a lot of different people, and everybody was like, "Sarah Flint, it's a great name. You're, you're, you are the brand. You got to use it. You got to use yourself. You know, people want to know about you. You know, being a designer today is about more than just sketching and drawing shoes. It's about really, you know, portraying a lifestyle and and giving people an inside look into a creative's life. I bit the bullet and did it. There you go. Uh, well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm going to look out for the sales coming up. Good luck. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under 30. That's the number 30 at podcastone.com. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.